If you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to walk through what I believe is a very powerful and applicational part of Scripture because it's being written to very, very religious people. And if there is one thing that can describe Grand Rapids to some extent is it is very religious. And we're going to pick up in verse 22. So Paul stood in the midst of Eropagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are, here it is, very religious. Very religious in all respects. For a while I was passing through, examining the objects of your worship. I also found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I now proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served with human hands as though he needed something, since he himself gives to all people all breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation, mankind, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries and their habitations, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find that though he is not that and find that though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and even some of your own prophets say this, for we are also his children. Being then children of God, we ought not to think that divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or image formed in the art of or thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all mankind by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection. Now notice that. Now when they heard about the resurrection. Well, Paul started with the resurrection. But now it says now that they, let me, let me put it this way. Now that they understand what he meant by the resurrection of the dead. Some began to sneer. Others said, ah, we'll hear about this another time. And others, um, some of the men joined and believed. Among them were um, Dionysus um, of Arabic, of some place with the letter A, Pagite, and a woman named Amarius, and others with them. And if you're anything like me, when you stand in front of people, not only does your intellect shrink, but your vocabulary does as well. So with that, let's open up with a word of prayer and ask for the assistance and the help of our Holy Spirit. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Father, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Every page of your word, every letter, every period, every summary, all point to you revealing Jesus Christ to us. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us see what you meant for us to see here. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Father, we confess that without your Holy Spirit, we would hear and see nothing. So I pray that he would work mightily in this room, both with those who are your children and those who are not. I confess my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. 
And so, Father, I pray this and I ask this in your Son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. We have a lot, a lot here. Have you ever heard the words, you're making this complicated? You're making this complicated. How, how many here remember the acronym KISS? Anyone at all? You remember that? when you, It was keep it simple, silly. And we're in church, so. I think it was, what was the final S? Keep it simple. That's what you said. All right. We live in a day and age where we are so educated, are we not? We are so educated that oftentimes we can't even comprehend the most simple of thoughts. One mentor of mine that I talk to from time to time said this about our current culture. He said, only people so educated could miss the meaning of something so simple. This is a situation that Paul is in. As he is waiting for Timothy and Silas to meet him in Athens, the most educated city in the world, Athens, the home of Aristotle, Plato, and others, he, was, he walked around and he was angry at all of the idols in Athens that they were submerged with. So he began to share about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, this seems rather simple. If you think about it, a guy who died and rose again. Now, there might be so, some disbelief, but to understand what the words mean should be simple enough. But these people are so educated that they miss the entire thing. Now, if you were with us last Sunday night, you're going to have a head start with the context here. But here's what's going on in Athens. In a city that is submerged with idols, like a forest overgrown, this is a very polytheistic culture. And so when they hear the name Jesus, that is a proper name in the masculine gender, in the blue, and the resurrection, which is in the feminine gender, in the Greek, Anastasius, because of their polytheistic nature and they hear of a masculine God and a feminine God, you'll notice here the word deities here is not singular, it is plural. He is proclaiming strange plural gods. When you add this all together, Athens thought that Paul was teaching about a male God named Jesus and a goddess named Anastasius the resurrection. So Paul has to stop and read the room. And start all over. Hence the words we read in verses 31 and 32. And now when they heard about the resurrection, it meant something completely different than what they think he's saying right here. That should be the rest. Let's just close in a word of prayer. There's a lot there, isn't there? That's our context. So he starts over. He abandons the talk of Jesus and the resurrection for a moment because they're not hearing what he is trying to communicate so that he might present to these highly educated, highly religious people a a simple train of thought for them to follow. And once he has laid out the intellectual breadcrumbs for them to follow, he will return to Jesus in the resurrection. So they, they might understand that he's not talking about two pagan gods, but rather one God and how he conquered the grave and, they, and the resurrection. So what we're going to do is we're going to follow the breadcrumbs of Paul's sermon here so that we might know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. 
And along the way, we're going to pick up some needed application that fits really well in the culture in which we live today because at the end of the day, man is unable to improve them, himself and women themselves spiritually without the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we just keep repeating things. So he starts out with this. He starts out by giving them a double-sided compliment here. He says this words, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. Some commentators would say that you could translate it this. You are so religious that you are superstitious. You are very religious. Now I want you to keep in mind, because we're going to end with the fact that these are highly religious people. We're going to end our study with that thought. Let us remember the city is submerged in idols. You see it in the words, full of idols. We find from historical writings that for a city that have around 10,000 people, there are 20,000 statues and idols in this community, two for every one person. It is an extremely polytheistic culture. In fact, that is the lens in which they view everything, hence his need to start throwing breadcrumbs to lead to the resurrection so that he doesn't think that, he, that Paul is talking about a dual God here. It's one of the reasons they think the subject of Jesus and the resurrection is speaking of two gods. So Paul looks around in the midst of this polytheistic culture that is thousands upon thousands of, and we, t- we studied last week, every building in Athens was dedicated to a demigod. And he sees a single monument, a single altar, with the inscription to an unknown god. And so he sees this altar whole to the unknown God and he sees an opportunity to introduce to them what they do not yet know. By the way, in a highly educated community. In order to keep things simple and relatable and effective in a city that claimed to know very, very much, Paul uses their own admission of ignorance right here with this altar. Their own admission of ignorance as an on-ramp to speak what they do not yet know of. He didn't walk in there and go, you all are stupid. He didn't start that way. He said, let me start with what you yourself acknowledge. Let me tell you by your own admission what you do not know. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, there it is, to the unknown God, I'm going to proclaim to you that which you do not know yet. But you have reserved within your conscience an opportunity to learn to it from it. Paul's about to show the one true unknown God to them, which we know today as Jesus, how he can be found. He says, let me proclaim to you what, what you actually point out with this altar. So Paul begins to point it out with the first breadcrumb. And the first breadcrumb is this. The God who made the world in all things in it. This is our first breadcrumb. If I could summarize this, it is all around us. He says, the first thing you're looking at here that I can introduce you to him is creation. The world around us demands that everyone answer one simple question. It is the question that, that, that chases man everywhere he or she goes. And the question is this, where did all of this come from? Where did we come from? What is the cause of the effect? That is what all of us are going to ask ourselves at one point in time. What is the the cause of everything around us? 
By the way, this is a scientific law within secular understanding that no reasonable human being would ever refute. It is called the law of biogenesis. Paul here unpacks creation, that life comes from life. Today we call it biogenesis. Biogenesis, the scientific law, simply means that life comes from life. Now, with a raised hand, how many seem to think, yep, that makes sense. Life produces life. Anyone at all? That makes sense. Of course it does. It is repeatable, all right? It is repeatable, it is observable, it is predictable, and frankly, in many ways, it is unstoppable. How many here have ever just let your garden go and it just, everything died in it? Well, the stuff you want dies, right? But, but the weeds and other life begin to grow. Here it is, life produces life. Paul says, I'm going to introduce you to this unknown God by talking about everything that is around you. So the question rises, where does it come from? Who started all of this? If life demands life. Frankly, even if you ask a fervent evolutionist, where did life come from? They will, in many ways, if you, if you listen to the most current studies, will stammer through some Well, listen, they will abandon the law of biogenesis and they will embrace the hypothesis, for those of you who love science, the hypothesis of abiogenesis. Now, abiogenesis simply means this, life comes from no life. How many here with a raised hand says, yep, that makes sense. I mean, think about this, life comes from no life. Life, But just for the sake of argument, since we're talking about creation, let's just give them that hypothesis, which by the way is really out there. Let's just give it to them. Let's give it to them. Okay, well where did the bunch of non-living components come from? Where did the non-living components come together accidentally one day, billions and billions of years ago, that some plume of dust and non-living things came out of the earth and they mixed together and it was able to complete an entire strand of protein? It doesn't, all right? But let's give it to you. Where did that non-living stuff come from? Because here's another, here's another something here. Something cannot come from, anyone? Nothing. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, where did the something come from? And see how we can concede all this scientific law and truth and that which conforms to the reality around us. We can concede it all, but where did the, the stuff come from? Where did something come from? Richard Dawkins, one of the most outspoken physicists and atheists and Christian antagonists of our day, says, physicists now believe something can come from nothing. Okay, okay. I'm not a physicist, all right? I'm just a nerd that watches a lot of documentaries because those are my devotions, all right? No, they're not. Okay, well, something can come from nothing. I want you to think about that for nothing. I just, for a moment, I want you to think from nothing, something. Just think about that. Now, he was quoted in saying in one interview, well, many interviews, really, he says, when you put matter in antimatter, how many guys go, what in the world does this have to do with the text? Follow me here, all right? If you put matter and antimatter together, you get nothing. 
And then if you reverse that process, you can get something from nothing. How many here feel like you have lost the trail of breadcrumbs? Anyone at all? There's one big problem with that. That's not true. In fact, let's hit a button and and put an X in it. There it is, all right? That's not true. First of all, that's an argument that we can create nothing from something. So we're still back to the problem, all right? Not something from nothing. However, overlooking that. How many here would say, as, as believers in a creator God, we have conceded a lot of ground? Anyone at all? But giving you that, which by the way is not nothing, it is a pseudo-nothing, because there's still stuff around, all right? But when you put matter and antimatter together, and I wanted the nerds to answer this, what happens when you take a positive and a negative uh, 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 matter and you put them together? What happens? Massive amount of energy are formed. Anyone who ever watched a single episode of Star Trek First Generation knows this. That's how they fuel their ship. One time, their matter and antimatter regulator got stuck, and they were going to blow up. Okay, I've descended into the depths of nerd, all right? I understand that. But even Star Trek understands. When you put these two things together, you don't get nothing. You get massive amount of energy, which is my next question. Where does the energy come what? From. We still are not to nothing. I don't know why I told you that. Here's the question. All right, here's the question. It creates massive amounts of energy. Here's the question. Where did the energy come from? Here's the point. All right, here's the point. The more you go back to the beginning of life, The further you go back, the more you concede, the more impossible it is to escape the creator of these things. This undeniable truth surrounds us. One can say that God did not just lay out a breadcrumb for us to, to, in creation to stumble across, but he literally placed us inside the breadcrumb, and everywhere we look, we see bread. Which, by the way, demands the question, who is the baker? Who's the baker of this bread? Where did life come from that forces us forward to find an unknown god whether you're in athens or you're in grand rapids it forces you forward but now paul moves to the next breadcrumb since life comes from life who is the giver of that life it's right here god himself there it is gives to all people biogenesis life and breath to all things And by the way, from one man, every nation of mankind live on the face of the earth. I'll tell you where this biogenesis comes from, life from life. It comes from God. Amen. I got one amen on that. To make this breadcrumb unavoidable, he made from every man, one nation, mankind, all the earth, the face of the earth. By the way, here he says this, and you all come from one man. In fact, the word is Adam. Huh. Therefore, he says to these Greeks, who, by the way, are full of racism, if you were not Greek, 
If you were not Greek, you were called a... Anyone want to make a guess? Now, please be politically correct. We can say this word. It's, uh, in fact, let me just withdraw that. And I'll tell you what they said, all right? They called you Conan the what? Barbarian. If you were not Greek, you were a barbarian. You were less than. I want to pause here for just a moment. We are all descendants of Adam, therefore we are all equal in the sight of God. I want to say this very clearly, and I want you to affirm it. There is no room for racism in true Christianity. Amen? Amen. There is no room. If you think someone is less than because of the color of the skin, let me make this clear, this is not the church for you. Now, with all that going on, in all directions... It seems as if the world cannot escape the breadcrumbs of God. In 2013, the, journey, the Journal of Science, which is a scientific, peer-reviewed, professional, multidisciplinary journal, wrote the following. There it is. It seems as if, here it is, surprising new studies show that every man can trace his origins to one man. Research suggests, in fact, there it is, That ancient man, okay, first of all, every man alive can trace his origins to one man. Ancient man likely shared the planet with the mother of all women. Huh? Here come the Christians. You know? Eve. Adam. Eve. Biogenesis. You know, it's not that difficult you have to suspend all logic you have to go something could come from nothing and life comes from death all right to to deny this you might even say that we're without excuse genesis 1 oh i gotta get back here scientific law equivocally states that something cannot come from nothing life comes from life and all share the same parents That's just not a big breadcrumb. That is a stinking loaf of bread, folks. Genesis chapter 5, 1 through 2 says this. On the day he created man, he made made him in the likeness of God. He created them. Now, this is going to be controversial. It's going to be politically incorrect, but buckle up. God made them male and female. We are so educated, something so simple confuses us. And he blessed them and named them mankind. Notice how many sexes God created. Each one has a clear definition and role. Romans chapter 1 verse 22 says, Claiming to be wise, man became fools. We live in a day and age of so many wise people that foolishly we can't even define what a woman is. I dare not ask them what a man is. Oh, how nothing changes in the condition of man absent from God. Now back to Paul's train of thought. Let's pick up the breadcrumbs where he left off. If all life comes from one life and something cannot come from nothing and all come from one man, who is this creator? Who is this God? And who is this goddess resurrection? Well, 
I got good news. Paul says not only does this unknown give breadcrumbs to seek him, but he didn't do it randomly. He just didn't throw them out. He he systematically places the bread in such a way that it reveals him and leads to him. By the way, we call this the next breadcrumb called the history of mankind. It's not like God just went, here you go, figure it out. One, boom, life, biogenesis, all create one man, one woman, something from nothing. Oh, history of mankind. You can't help but bump into the, to the creator. God is intimately involved in the history of man. It says here, he determined their, there it is, he determined their appointed times and their boundaries and their habitation. This is just the history channel in the middle of scriptures. He's involved. Here it is. God has moved every nation, every event, every population, every period, every place that we live and populate. Here is the point. God has has never been absent from the lives of mankind. His hand has never been still in history. In every event, in every nation, in every period, God has guided according to His supreme will to reveal Himself to us. Now some of us might bristle at this from our human perspective. How could God allow such dark and difficult times, not only in our lives individually, but corporately in the history of mankind? You ever look at the backside of Needlepoint? You ever look at that giant hot mess? How many here do needlepoint or cross-stitch or anything like that? Okay, if you are a man and you raised your hand, this might not be the church for you. All right. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) I've done cross-stitch. It's very cathartic. I get to see what I'm doing and accomplish something. Love that. How many here just like watching? How many here? It's not in my notes. Watch videos of a painter painting in high speed. Anyone at all? Oh, it's fantastic get to see progress. Amy's like, what are you watching? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> watching paint dry. From man's perspective, from man's perspective, this is what history looks like. It's, where is God? But if you flip that over, let's flip it over. This is God's perspective of history. A perfect plan. And from his perspective, we see how that hot mess on the back actually creates a perfect plan, the boundaries and the habitations. Someday we will see it as God weaves history, which is a beautiful and perfect plan. Here it is. Who can know the mind of God? Who can be his counselor? I can't. But now we come to the simple point of the simple message to these highly educated people. Why does God give us these breadcrumbs called creation, history, reason, life? Why does God lay these things systematically out for us? Oh, grab this, my friends. It's right there in the text. He does all of this so that we would seek God. That is the whole point. Everything around us is designed us to push us towards God. Creation, reason, history, life. If you might just grope for Him. Everything around us is designed for that. 
So purposely are they laid out in history and all of that. So clear is the hand of God that if perhaps you might grope for him. Now the word grope here, while in our culture has some negative commentations, it is perfect within this context. The Greek word grope here means to reach out and just touch the surface. Just, just touch the surface. To lightly touch something. The point is this. It doesn't take a lot of effort to touch something. Paul points here. If you gave the smallest effort, everything has been sovereignly and providently, providentially placed in creation and life and history and reason. Here it is. That you would find him if you just... Almost like a blind man, just 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 try to, to, to touch it. You would you would find him if you just reached out ever so slightly for this unknown God that you talk about. You would find here it is, and this is where we understand this beautiful sentence here. You would find that you would find that he is not far from each one of us, and it is the context. That pops that right there. In fact, the condition in the Greek here is one of absolute confidence. If you follow the breadcrumbs to God, you will find that you can't help but bump into him. I want to illustrate to this to you with an with a actual physical illustration. Mike Guest, would you come up here and, and would you be willing to help us as well? All right. What we're going to be doing is just a very quick church discipline thing. All right. I'm joking. We're not. So, Jeff, if you would come up here, I want to, I want to do this, all right? So, Mike, you come over here. You're going to represent a lost sinner in Athens and in Grand Rapids and really everywhere. And you are blind and you are dead in your sins, all right? You are, you are, and I'm going to put you this way right here, all right? Nice shirt, all right? Thanks for dressing up today. And you too, that's great. You are going to represent, so we got a lost sinner over here, and Jeff is going to represent general revelation. He's going to represent creation and life and biogenesis and, and, and history and reason. He's going to represent all the breadcrumbs in the world. He is going to represent a lost and dying soul. I am going to represent a holy and righteous God. <laughs> and so you're going to be blindfolded. All right, do you want to blindfold or can I just, can you just shut your eyes? All right, we'll trust you. Jeff, in a moment, I'm going to place myself as a holy and righteous God who is revealing himself through all of these things. You're, that, you're going to verbally direct Mike to try and find me, okay? Lost sinner, reason, history, all that stuff, all right? I'm a holy and righteous God. And when I give you a thumbs up, you tell him how to find me, Okay? All right. That seems a little bit too simplistic, all right? So let's try it again. Go ahead. There it is. That was unwarranted, all right? Now, thank you. You guys can go sit down. Now, here is, give them a round of applause, all right? 
this verse that we like to put on Precious Moments posters is not about that. It's not about, I feel lonely today. Christ felt lonely, didn't he not? Here's what it means. Let me start with a question. By the way, did Mike find me? Or did I find Mike? Number two, let me say it another way. Did we find God or does God come to us? Paul, in essence, is saying this with the slightest of effort. You will find that God is not far from you. You can't help but find Him. God is not hiding There is no corner of the earth where He is not waiting. There is no no place where His glory is not revealed. The simplest breadcrumbs are everywhere. And this is why man is without excuse. Even if we've never heard the gospel, we are still accountable for the breadcrumbs and the loaf of bread we live inside of called creation. We are accountable for failing to follow what is the, 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 the cause of this effect. The breadcrumbs of general revelation to special revelation. John Calvin speaks to this eloquently when he says this. If we would just reach out, God himself would come forth to meet us. And he goes on to give a beautiful picture. So much so that a blind man could just grope out and find him. And you will find that he is not far from anyone. Including a highly religious polytheistic community. Including a highly religious monotheistic Grand Rapids who's in love with a a culture far more than the Christ in it. Then Paul says, even some of your own prophets agree with me. For they say we are his offspring. But herein lies the question. If there is no salvation outside of faith in Jesus Christ in his gospel, which is true, how then does creation and life and history save? It doesn't. It doesn't. You cannot worship the created as a substitute of the creator. They are breadcrumbs. General revelation, creation, life, and history pushes man to seek special revelation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who seek after God because of his breadcrumbs, God will bring, by his gracious election, will bring them to the bread of life, the gospel. John chapter 6 speaks clearly to this. In fact, this truth is happening as it's coming out of the mouth of Paul. He is the example of this truth. Through Paul, God brings to those who are following these breadcrumbs the gospel of Jesus Christ through the altar of an unknown God. I just want to pause here for a moment. What does it mean that he overlooked times of ignorance? We must remember the emphasis here is about accountability. Accountability. This is not a doctrinal statement about God saving people absent from Jesus Christ. The times of ignorance that Paul is talking about is the unknown God that he is now proclaiming to them. You can't claim ignorance anymore. 
God did not judge you, he says, as severely as he could during your times of ignorance before Christ was revealed, Romans 3.25. But the time of ignorance is over. Special revelation has hit man's ears and that revelation is Jesus. No more guessing. No more ignorance. And now that God has sent his son Jesus to die for our sins and rose him from the grave, ignorance is off the table. God's dealing with man has now changed. Grab that. See change here. The way that God is dealing with man has changed. And that change is made it clear in the next command. It says right here, God is now declaring this change that all people everywhere regardless of race or ethnicity or location, must repent. Repent of what? Idolatry. That's what is all around them, contextually. And by the way, it's what is all around us today. We may not dedicate our buildings to to idols, but we certainly do dedicate our temples to things, do we not? If we set anything above God, people, objects, possessions, and even ourselves, we must repent of that sin because the time of overlooking ignorance is over. Jesus has come and because of this, now remember, we're going to go a little bit deeper here. He's speaking to Epicurean philosophers who believe there is no accountability after death. Let us remember the audience. He says, now, because this is over, Paul says to them, he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. Has he not read Today's marketing tips on how to grow a church? You're talking about judgment? My friends, let us follow the breadcrumbs because something cannot come from nothing. Life comes from life. We all come from one man. And because God is providentially involved in history, the undeniable truth is this. We are not moving aimlessly through space. We are not dust in the wind. We are, we are not moving towards extinction, nor are we simply going to be consumed by the cosmos. But rather, we are all moving to a day of divine judgment. So now the final breadcrumb falls, and it's so simple, and it's so clear. It is the same question that naturally fell from the lips of the Roman guard just a chapter ago when he cried out, then what must I do to be saved? How do I escape this day? As I sit inside a loaf of bread and everything around me tells me there is a cause to this effect. Do you see how you escape it? In righteousness through a man whom he has appointed. But who is this man and how will I know that he is the one true God that you speak of and that all the breadcrumbs of creation and reason and history points to and it is here we have arrived. The trail has led back to where he began. And it is here where Paul can now return to the very subject he just abandoned, the resurrection. You will know who this unknown God is because God has furnished proof. There it is. He has furnished proof to everyone that they're accountable. He did it by raising him from the dead. 
it is here. It is here that they now understand the breadcrumbs that Paul is talking about. Paul is not talking about two gods, called Jesus and the goddess resurrection, but rather he is speaking about the one true previously unknown God whose name is now revealed and they are not ignorant. His name is Jesus. And with him, he brings his righteousness and the power to conquer death so that those who repent, those who believe, will be saved from that day of wrath that God has and be given eternal life through Jesus. Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's all around us. A blind man shifting his weight. We'll find him. And like all of them then, so are we today. We stand before the bread of life and we are without excuse for crying out loud, there's an empty cross behind me. Because that's where the breadcrumbs lead. And we must make a decision just like all these people did. And I love this. There's three decisions baked in here that's going to represent the three decisions here today. It's almost as though Luke has a purpose. Decision number one, they began to sneer. They began to sneer. This is just called flat-out rejection. Now, by the way, it's happening in this room right now. This is a highly religious community. Athens is a highly religious community. Is that not the context? Is that what I want you to hold on to? Because at the very end, we're going to come back to that. This is outright rejection. The truth of the matter is, this is not not likely what most of us will do today. Some of us will. Decision number two, some of them joined him and believed. Joined him and believed. They accepted Jesus Christ, that he did rise again and ascended to heaven. And they gave their lives completely to him. We see this in the words that they left their lives behind and they joined them. Some of you are going to do that this morning. But the truth of the matter is, most of us who attend church and are very religious in many ways, and is that not the audience here? Stay with me, because I'm going to dismiss you in four minutes, five minutes. All of this background historical study is worthless. Absolutely, utterly worthless if we don't engage these next four minutes. Most of us are going to respond the third way. We'll hear about this another time. This is called the rejection of delay, and it is where we live. This is is the equivalent to today's let me pray about it. We are fine with attending church, hearing the gospel, repentance in life in Christ, as long as there's no actual call to give our lives to Christ. My friend, is everything fine at church as long as Christianity remains theoretical, academic? Do we declare Jesus as Lord but live absent from His Lordship? By the way, that's not called belief, that's called lying. 
And I know because I lied until I was about 22 years of age. And I was very religious. Tell me, when the call to repent and turn away from sin and give your life fully to Christ is given, do you look at your watch and say, I'll think about it another day? I want you to hear my, me, my friends. Delay is as damning as outright rejection, but let me push a little further. It is more dangerous. Because the Bible tells us that the more you hear the gospel without truly responding, the offer is eventually taken away. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 12, For the one who accepts the light of the gospel, the one who accepts the light of the gospel, more will be given. The one who does not accept the gospel given, that will be taken away from them. This middle ground does not exist. We are either accepting Christ or we are rejecting Christ. For even delaying has a current. It pushes our hearts towards callous, irreversible rejection. There there is no salvation in simply knowing the gospel. It must be appropriated. One of the greatest sins of the church today is not the outright rejection of Jesus, but the passive, dispassionate hearing of it. Don't turn away. Hear it now. For we have come to the end of the breadcrumbs. And if you turn away from today... It becomes increasingly harder to accept. So let us keep it simple. I'm going to give you a very simple offer. So simple, it's just bread. Today, is the day of salvation. Today is the day to be reconciled with God. For a day has been appointed. Respond without delay. Here it is. A simple call. with a simple acknowledgement of this question with your hand. Is there anyone here that wants to respond to the gospel call of salvation and know Jesus as their Savior? Is there anyone here today that would like that? see your hand Pastor Dave where are you he's downstairs Pastor Jason where are you Pastor Jason will you meet this young person right now in the back and would you share the gospel of Jesus Christ 
One more simple call. I want to know the cause of this effect. Anyone want to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? My sister. Is there a deaconess in this room who would share the gospel and lead this woman to the Lord? Angel? Is there a woman who would join Pastor Jason in sharing the gospel to this young woman? Okay, Allie. Feel free to go right now. That would be delay. One more time. Anyone else? I want to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. I don't want religion anymore. Graciously, Heavenly Father, your fruit, it is yours. Bless this church. May we know you and love you. Strip us of our culture that we might find Christ. We love you, Lord. May your Holy Spirit guide these people. It's in great your gracious name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. You are dismissed.